So let's read 2 John 1 through 13. The old man to the elect lady, all right, like we talked about last week, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him. Do not receive him to your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wickedness. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the life that is in your word. God, thank you that that life resonates in all of your children. God, our hearts leap from our chest as we talk about, God, loving one another. We talk about the commandment, Lord God, to, to walk according to love. God, we talk about um, the necessity of truth. God, we talk about guarding the truth because the truth is important for us. God, we want to be faithful. God, we want to be faithful to you. God, we want to be faithful to one another. God, we want the world to see that faithfulness and, and know that you're real and know that you love us and know that you alone are worthy. God, we pray for our ears. God, I pray for my words. God, would they go forth by the power of your Holy Spirit God, and they would affect our lives. They would encourage our lives. They would build up our lives because you are faithful to your word. Thank you, Lord. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we discussed that John was writing this letter to a church he loved. Right? That was the, was the main words he spoke in the first three verses. Those love and truth. And his love for them was because of their abiding, remaining, staying, fighting for the truth. 
we stated that John's focus in this letter, and his main point, is that we, much like them, would live together in love. Because living together in love is the place for lives of truth to grow together. Right? So there is a location that is proper, that is right for our lives to grow together. And location is the church. Location is right here where God has called you to a faithful fellowship that preaches the doctrines of God and the, the biblical doctrines that have upheld through the centuries. And we need a place like that that we can flourish. We need a place like that that will be um, that we can be with like-minded people and grow together. So this is the place where we are to stir up one another to love and to good works, where we grow disciples, where we learn how to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before our God. That's why it's important that we see our church gatherings. That's why we, it's important that we see this meeting as a family meeting. Right? Not much like Thanksgiving or Christmas maybe in your house where it has to be um, contentious, but this is a family meeting. We get to, to be around people who believe the same things, who agree with the same things. And that's a joy. That is a great joy. Because that's what it means to be part of the church. So we want these family gatherings to be a longing for each one of us, right? We want Friday to come around and, man, I can't wait for Sunday. We want Saturday night to come and, and we make different choices about what we do with our Saturday night because we know we want to be up early and we want to be with the people of God. We want our hearts to ache when we miss the gathering, when we know, even, even our hearts aching on Wednesday as we, we think about the encouragement and the fellowship that we have and, and just the, the amount of building up that happens at this place. But John doesn't stop there. He does say there's a location for us to grow, but he also says that, that we walk in love and we live in love as a protection from the world's deception. All right? What does John say in, in verses 4 through 6 that brings him great joy? He says, I rejoiced greatly. He didn't just say, I liked it. I like to hear it. I rejoiced. It was a joy. He said, and, and particularly uses these words, I rejoiced greatly. He wants to multiply, magnify. He wants to, to them to know this thrilled him. He is a, he is a, a wonderful example right, of, a, of a believer, of a, someone who is who's connected to the family. Even though it's a church that wasn't his, this elder is thrilled that this congregation is walking in the truth. Makes his heart skip a beat. He's very, very grateful that they would be walking in the truth just as they were commanded by the Father. And he asked them, notice, he says, I ask you. He could have easily just as wrote, I command you, because that's the commandment. But he's not like that. He loves them 
right? When we know that we have to give a, a stern, a insistent boundary to one of our children. We present it as, no, you may not. Or, sweetheart, please don't touch the stove. Because that stove is very hot and it will burn you. We can we could just say don't touch the stove and we're in our right position to say that and it's it's wisdom to not touch the stove. But it's also lacks the family connection. So we ask to follow the commandments. And this is the command we've heard, not a new commandment, right? I don't want to I don't want to go around new commandments. The one we've heard from the beginning from when Christ himself came and told it to us out of his own mouth to love one another. And this is the love that we have, that we walk, we're obedient, we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment just you have heard from the beginning and you walk in it. So John asks us to love one another because we are commanded to love one another. And loving one another protects us from the world's deception in two ways. Way number one is walking in love, right? These words keep love and truth, keep resonating with John throughout the letter, and that is his main point. And number two is guarding the truth. So protection begins by walking in love. We walk in love as we walk in truth, and and that truth is that the holy God, the one who is perfect and exists in absolute truth. And there is no truth apart from what is found in him. This God who created and sustains all things. And as a creator of everything, he has a right to insist that everything be true and good and perfect and obedient. We humans are created by God. In his image. And because we are created, we are obligated to follow his right for everything to be true, good, perfect, and obedient. That's our obligation. But we have rejected God. And because we have sinned by rejecting him and lying to ourselves or, and also believing the lies that we're told God because he is truth and because he is perfect is obligated to punish that sin would not be good or loving or true of God if he swept the sin under the rug or just forgot about it he must punish our sin but instead of raining down judgment on all of us, as he would have been right to do, God chose rather to send his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to live the life we should have lived and die the death that we should have died. And God, fully approving of that sacrifice in our place, raised Jesus from the dead. This sacrifice is our only hope. It's our only foundation for grace, mercy, and peace. Right? From God the Father and the Son. 
That's what we're all looking for. Grace, mercy, and peace. Do you love these truths? Are they changing how you live in fellowship with one another? Even when you fail, do you long to change? Are you growing in hatred of sin and falsehood? I encourage you to use this Advent season to drink deeply the truths of the gospel, to meditate upon them as Psalm 1 encourages us. We want to we have our roots saturated in the truths of the gospel. So protection begin, is begun by walking in the truth. And it is sustained by walking in the truth with one another. This protection involves encouraging one another, praying for one another, building up one another, being kind and tender-hearted towards one another, spurring one another on to love, good deeds, meeting together with one another, Serving one another. Forgiving one another. Speaking the truth to one another. Honoring one another. Showing mercy to one another. Accepting one another. Promoting harmony amongst one another. And bearing with and forgiving one another. And there are many, many, many more one another's. I encourage you to take some time and just as you're reading, as you're reading on your daily plan, make sure you highlight the one another statements. Because those are those are faithful promises for us being together. Right? There are there are individual promises that the word of God gives us, and we're to hold those close, and they're to be the foundation of our lives. But that's not all that God calls you to as an individual life together with Him in Christ by the whole power of the Holy Spirit. Right? He calls us together. He calls us to be together because that sustains. And that protection and walking in the truth with one another sustains us. So when you come together, that's why Colossians encourages you. Have a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. And many of you do this. Many of you do it with your smile. Right, many of you have done this even recently with, with uh, the birth of, our, of Arabella. And, and you, you flooded our house with, with love and food and care. Um, you ask about us. How are we doing? How's mama? How's the baby? And your, your care and your concern for us shows and sustains and builds us up right, during this season of transition. Continue. Keep on. There are situations that are changing in people's lives. Gather around them. Jump in. Whatever you can do, be there for them. So the first way we are protected from the world's deception is by walking in truth with one another. The second way we are protected from the world's deception is by guarding the truth. Look at verses 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. 
Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John began the section by using the word for. The word for has a huge value, right? It's there for a reason, right? That's what we say. You see the word for, you see the word therefore. What is it there for, right? It's there, to, it's there and means to convey a purpose, a reason. And in this case, John's saying, because you love, because you keep walking in the truth, in love, Keep it up. Keep going. Maintain it. Because for many deceivers have gone out. Because there is an evil enemy out there, like a roaring lion that wants to devour you. Right? And so though, though the word for has value, the word many has power. And it's... John didn't say that just that there are deceivers that have gone out from among you. But he says there are many deceivers that have gone out from among you. And as we think about the church worldwide, the same is true today. There are many deceivers that are, are trying to cozy up to the church. They're trying to have just enough of the truth to where they sound close, but not enough of the truth to bring about the Holy Spirit and affect lives and honor God as God and Christ as His Son, fully God and fully man. And ever since the Tower of Babel, it's been this way. The world system tries to use the power of the multitude because there are more people on this side. How many times do you hear today in the news? Oh, such and such amount of percentage of people agree with this or believe that. So what? It's not the truth. It doesn't matter how many other people believe it or what percentage I'm, I'm sitting in here. I want to be believing what the Bible says. And guess what? It's, major, it's minority numbers now for those that believe the Bible. In, the, in a multitude of, of categories, it's only going to get worse. There's going to be less and less and less of our percentages as those that are loosely connected to the truth are building their house upon sand, start to feel the wind, start to feel the, the gusts of non-conformity of, of the majority's opinion blow against them. And they will topple. And those numbers will go down. And, and our opinions will not change. So it's quite possible, church, that in the not-too-distant future, what I'm doing right now 
by saying that there is a standard. And that standard is Jesus Christ and there is a God who is holy and perfect and true. There's a time coming where this will be illegal. It's serious and it's sobering. And I'm intentionally looking at the camera right now. Because I'm not going to back down. It'll be hard if I have to leave my family as John Bunyan did for 19 years because he wouldn't give up on the truth. But God's worthy. And the truth is that important. So, be faithful. Don't worry about the many, the multitude. You young people here, you're going to have it worse than us. So now, use this time to found yourself upon the gospel. To learn the word. Charles was saying this morning in the kitchen, just there's, there's coming a day when they're probably going to take the Bibles. Well, guess what we need to put, to put the Bible? In the one place where they can't take it. Exactly. Our hearts. Hide the word in your heart. Treasure it deeply. More than you treasure breath. More than life. Make it that deep a part of yourself. We need to be daily hiding the word in our hearts. Chewing on it. Meditating. Let our roots soak in it. We are in the last days, as John has said. And and John must have a very elastic definition, right, of, of last Days, because even even Jesus said this, right? And and John is not the only one. Um, Paul echoes him, saying last days. Uh, Peter echoes him. The writer of the Hebrews says, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. All right. Check out how Peter responds to scoffers who claim that the promise of the Lord's return will not happen. Because it has not happened. Second Peter 3, 8-10 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And earth, the works that are done on it, will be exposed. Anyone good at math here? If a day is a thousand years, we currently sit at at 2,022 years. Anybody want to tell us how far along we are in the last days? Two days, five hours or so. Right there? It's not very far into the last days. Right? So, I don't know how long, when Jesus is going to return. I'll pretend to know that. Um, But I do know that he is coming. And that builds hope. And that is 
That is why we stand firm, right? That is the message of Revelation more than anything is be faithful and receive the reward because Christ is coming. No matter how bad it looks, no matter what turmoil comes upon you, no matter how many people say that Jesus is not the Christ and you know the truth, it doesn't matter. Be faithful. Be faithful. And that's not, so remember what John has said, excuse me here, uh, let me catch back up to my notes. Remember what John said in, in 1 John 2, 18 through 27, he says, Children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that, Antichrist, that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they, if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all were not of us. But you have not, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father. And the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to you. I'm sorry, He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Do not be deceived. Do not be alarmed when you see that every vice under the sun has been made readily available. Right? And people aren't hiding them anymore. They're in, they're in your pocket right now. Right? You, you wrestle with pride? Go on social media. Put forth this, this fake personality. Everyone applauds you. You want people just to, to see how great you are? Or the reverse pride where you, you wrestle with self-esteem and, and, and that issue. Go on social media. Start reading how great everyone else's life is and how down you can get. And, and so many other ways that, that our sin is not only... He's not crouching anymore outside the door. He's on top of the house. He's, he's knocking on the windows. He's everywhere trying to get in, trying to break in. Don't let him. Cut it off. Stem the tide. These things should not surprise us because, like we said, it will get worse. Even in Revelation, it says at the end, the very end, it's going to be so bleak that it looks like we lose. And at that moment, the clouds will part. The trumpet will sound and Christ will return. Satan thinks he's won, just like the cross. And at that moment, God moves in, takes over. And establishes his forever rule at that point.
So there is a world system in place, and it lurks in the shadows. It, it is always moving and directing and, and playing this spiritual game of chess, trying to deceive the believers, and it's ruled by Satan. He's very good at what he does. He demands loyalty and offers temporary pleasure. He's got a gospel as well. He's got a, a good news to his um, his followers. It's a temporary good news. He even makes promises, right? In his gospel, when you die, there's either a giant party in hell where everyone's just hanging out and having a great time while they burn up, or it just ends. And there's nothing. In his gospel, there's no mention of the presence of God and what that means to lose it, to be separated from it for eternity. And just how horrific it will be. Because now we have common grace and those that are not in, in Christ are enjoying that common grace. And the presence of God is, is still around them. And so there will be a day when that will cease. And just as with just as the positive aspect of no eye has seen or ear has heard for what God has prepared for them that love him. No eye has seen. No ear has heard what God has prepared for those who do not love him. It will be that bad and worse. Separation from God for eternity is hell. So he promotes this temporary gospel and, and he wants them just to, and us too, eat, drink, and be merry. Because the outcome of tomorrow, it's not important. It isn't that bad. And he has those that promote his gospel, his antichrists, who are always seeking to gain followers. And they love to hunt in the churches as peddlers of vague truth, of obscure truths. They want to progress beyond the historic truths of the biblical Christianity. You saw that in verse, verse uh, I think it's 10 um, in Second John. Sorry, I didn't double-side these, so I've got to flip back real quick. In verse 9, he says, Everyone who goes on ahead, right, goes beyond, they make progress, right? It's, it's interesting that, that the main biblical, uh, the main movement of a lot of mainline churches back the last century was called progressivism. Oh, we're, we're just being progressive with the church. We're trying to, to reach more people with our progress. Instead of holding to the true, faithful, biblical doctrines. Well, there's a current living testimony to progressivism. And if you go to a lot of the major cities, and you go to a lot of the mainline denominations, open their church doors on a Sunday morning, if you can. A lot of them are closed. A lot of them, the people in that church have said, well... There's no real commitment here. There's no real reason to submit my life, to obey to anything. I can just write my own rules. Then why am I giving you my money? Why am I giving up my Sunday for this? To come hear some 
you know, some pep talk. I can, I can do that anytime, right? I've got, I've got a, a, a news feed that'll shoot me a pep talk every day if I want. I just put it right there. It'll pop up, hey, you're great, you're awesome. Have a good day. We don't need that. We need to be reminded of truth. We need to be founded in the gospel. We need to be walking together in love with these truths. And it is our job to protect these truths. And and the last point about guarding the truth is that the necessity to deny unity to those who deny the true gospel. Verse 10 and 11, John writes, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching about Jesus, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John is not saying here that you can't invite someone over to your house. John is not saying here that even in the midst of the church, that unbelievers can't come in. Those who who believe wrong things about God can't come in. But what John is saying is that don't, don't make them members of your church. They're not to be leaders. They're not to be influencers amongst you. Right? Because the people that you allow around you, they're going to be the one another's in your life. And if those one another's are focused and geared towards a self-focused gospel, a world-focused gospel... That's what they're going to build up in you instead of the true faithful gospel of Christ. So guard these things. Do not even allow them to be in your unity, right? It's that unity amongst us that declares that Jesus Christ is real and that the world will know that God sent the Son. And the Son is real because of our unity and our love for one another. We can allow unbelievers to attend our services and we welcome them. We want them here. It is true that sitting in our presence right now, they're unbelievers, right? I know my daughter, Arabella, is an unbeliever. Stated. Categorical fact. She's not. So there are unbelievers amongst us. We want them here so that They can hear the gospel so they can hear that there is a God who created them who's perfect and holy and we are obligated to obey him, but we can't because we sin. And God is obligated to judge that sin, but because he is loving and loves us so much, he sent his son to take the place of those sins. And and we want that message to resound over and over again across our our dining room table, right? At bedtime, we want those truths to promote at covenant groups. We want to remind ourselves of these truths. We want to be stirred up by these truths. So don't let them in the inner circle. Invite them to come because this is where they hear the truth. Hear the truth. We want them here. They're just not going to lead us and direct us in conclusion, what you think about and do for Jesus has eternal weight. The Bible's not a grocery store. We are to live together in love because living together in love is the place 
for our lives of truth to grow together in love. And it is protection from the world's deception. We've been asked by John and commanded by Jesus to love one another because as we walk in truth with one another and guard the truth alongside of one another, we will be protected from the world's deception. One last note, just to bring everything fully around. Did you see the three tests that, that John mentions in 1 John over and over again? Right? He actually makes a, a little sandwich here as he, he talks about the relational test in 1 through 3 and then 12 through 13. What a joy. John says, I've got a lot of things, a lot of things I'd like to write to you. And we need to talk about, but I'm going to save those for when we're face to face. It's one thing to get a text from the person that you care about the most. It's another thing is, hey, I've got something to share with you tonight. Whoa, that's cool. I want to talk to you face to face. I want to be with you face to face and discuss these things. And so he says he's going to hold off until he can get there. And see them. And he relates the, the moral test and, and the things that we do, right? We walk according to the command of, of loving one another in verses 4 through 6. And then the doctrinal test, that it matters what you believe in verses 7 through 11. Thank you. Next week, we will jump into Third John. Thank you.